Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. For today's episode, we're excited to be partnering with SaneBox. As an entrepreneur or industry professional, we're also inundated with email now that it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding only to the important things, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in. As messages flow in, SaneBox does the triage for you, sifting only the important emails in your inbox and directing all the other distracting stuff into your Sane Later folder. It also has nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from senders you never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone, anywhere you check your email. They're also rated at 9.4 out of 10 stars based on over 500 reviews on Trustpilot. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com A-H-N today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash A-H-N. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. His name is David Zhao. David is an entrepreneur, investor, and activist originally from Shanghai, China. He is currently the managing partner of Next Group. Its diversified businesses include food and beverage ventures such as The Expot, Chubby Cattle, and Next Factor, a full-service digital agency. David is here to share insights about entrepreneurship, the startup lifestyle, and tools and tips to help you with your daily life. David, welcome to the show. David, we're so excited to have you in the podcast today. Let's hop right into the first question, man. Like, what was your upbringing like and where did you grow up? Yeah. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. Big fan of Asian Hustle Network. Amazing how you got all the Asian community to be here where we are and seeing how young you are and getting us together is much needed in today's world. My upbringing, I actually grew up in Shanghai, China. That's where I was born. And when I was 12, I came to the U.S. with my mom and I didn't speak a word of English then. So Chinese was my first language. And at the time, I thought it was challenging growing up, not speaking English and having to learn 11, 12 in middle school when everyone else is speaking English. But I realize now that it's a blessing in disguise and you'll see it in a, a lot in life. It's a lot of blessing in disguise in the world uh, that when you're younger, you don't realize. So now obviously my work revolves around bridging cultures through food, through entertainment. And I'm able to do so because I understand both cultures and how to combine it and westernize it so that everyone can enjoy some of the most popular things that's happening in Asia from food to entertainment. So uh, my upbringing is that I, I went to school in Long Island. And after I got into college, I took some gap years before going to college and during college to build my ad agency and build the restaurant uh, group, uh, which is called Chubby Cattle. And we have the Expot, which is fine dining hot pot concept. We have Chubby Cattle, which is the first. It's a conveyor belt hot pot concept, one of the first conveyor belt hot pot in the world. And then we also have dessert shops called Me Fresh, which we franchised. And now we're doing our own dessert concept. And in the next few years, we're doing a lot of automated 
restaurant concept. We're doing also barbecue concept. We're doing karaoke. We're bringing karaoke here. We're bringing the spa culture from Asia to here as well. So we're trying to bring the best that's to be offered in Asia to the U.S., to North America, and to Europe. Yeah, I love that, man. And that's a lot of things you're trying to bridge, right? <laughs> yeah. Kind of curious too. We kind of kind of skipped that part a bit. How are you so driven? I know it's a very loaded question, but like it sounds like you're almost born with that drive to do more. Like, what was your environment that you grew, that you grew up? In? What was that like? Like, would your dad yeah. give you a lot of pressure? Your mom give you a lot of pressure? Like, what was it like? Yeah, absolutely. So my my so growing up in I guess communist China when capitalism just started, uh, I guess in my parents' generation, my dad was a small business owner who doing fashion. It's a very small business, and but to me it was still inspiring because I can see that he was able to work with his partner with great relationship, and I see that he was very kind to the family and be able to have a lot of friends through work and through just this strong bond of family. And I think that that kind of brought up to me. It wasn't like I was born to. Do business, but rather I really liked enjoying. In high school, I started a nonprofit and started the ad agency. While I didn't even know it was an ad agency during high school time, it's because it gave me an outlet to connect with people, to work with people, and to work with friends. And it became a really cool concept. So during high school, I started a nonprofit called Enter Cyberbullying, which is still up now. And it was just a really cool project that came out of our health class. And on my on the ad agency side, I was able to. Pretty much service to be the arbitrage of people in, in India and people in the U.S. musicians, creators, and help them build their YouTube channels, help them build their websites, and I will learn these skill sets at the time and charge an arbitrage of pricing, and really just provide the service like a freelancer, but with a website and be able to use proficient English to service clients rather than people in India. Maybe they don't want to work with them because they don't have the trust, and they, there's there wasn't a platform、uh, to bridge that. So I was that bridge during my ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, all the way to to my gap years, where I finally got an office with my best friend、uh, in New York City, which we had no idea what, what we were doing and made a lot of mistakes.、Uh, was able to increase revenue, but wasn't able to generate profit all throughout. So it's it's been a learning process. Yeah. Dang, sounds so so gutsy, right? It's more than your typical high school student. I can't imagine my high school career be anything close to yours. I'll just like keep my head down, work hard, you know, study hard, and here you are taking those risks, right? And when you took those gap years, like, what was the logic behind that? And what did your parents say about that when you're like, hey, like, I don't want to go to college immediately? And I feel like most of my successful friends nowadays took that gap year because I feel like when you put yourself in the real world. It does mature you in some ways because you're seeing things from a different perspective, right? Yeah. yeah. So for me, I think it was easier for me to take a gap year. Again, this is a blessing in disguise, which I didn't know at the moment when I came to the U.S. and didn't know much about the American education system. My mother didn't. I'm I'm an only child, so my parents want me to obviously get the best education. So we came to the U.S. I really loved the U.S. when I came here because it was pretty diverse. It's not just academics. And my mother was very loving to me. Made sure I had food every day. So I'm very blessed in that. Food every day, emotional support was there every day. Like I'm her focus as a child, and she just she quit her job and she's just raising me. That's her full time job, which is very commendable. And it's a huge sacrifice. So, but she had no idea. Like she didn't speak English. She didn't know how to file her taxes. She didn't know how to know how to make car payments. Didn't know how the banking system worked. So at the time, I remember I had to help out a lot of these things. Set up the brokerage account. Set up her credit card statement. Call to dispute, and do all these things where other kids obviously just focus on school. And I was frustrated when I was younger. Like, oh, I wish my parents can maybe even get me an interview to an Ivy League school or know people that can connect me or like, hey, do the right thing. 
But what my parents was able to offer me was a lot of support and love. Like as long as you're doing nothing illegal and you're doing the best you can and you're healthy, uh, we're proud of you. Like just work hard. Don't go on the wrong track in the world. And that's it. So they were very supportive. And even when I was spending probably 80 hours, like six, 60 to 80 hours a week working on my business, which was just a side hustle to build these websites. My hourly wage is probably $2 an hour. If I think about breaking down hourly rates, but I was so proud of it. I was like, yeah, I'm making side income as a high school student. I was pulling two, $3,000 a month. I got myself a car with a terrible, like a terrible financial decision. I had no credit. They charged me insane amount of the lease price. But to me, it was like all a learning experience. I was able to invest in stocks and 10th grade and a custodial account. And all these things allowed me to, like when I applied to Wharton, like I didn't have the highest SAT score, standardized score in my class. Actually, the program probably had the lowest SAT score, but I was able to go not the traditional route. Like I went to talk to the mission officer. I took a trip, set up a meeting to really get to know them and get to know the program. And at that point, I realized like there's not one way to succeed. And a lot of people like as my peers, like they may not see that. It's hard to see that when you're going through like systematic standardized testing. These are the AP courses you take all the way to high school. Then you do college apps. So everyone's on this train track, but everyone in reality have different skill sets and different passions. So what gap years allowed me to do was like to find that passion and not to be pressured to go into a corporate job or do so or go into consulting or investment banking as most of my peers are, are software engineering. So that really helped me. And I actually shared that on YouTube about my gap year, like pros. Not really, there, I don't think there are many cons. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, gap year, you can like, you can start your startup after college. Why do you need a gap year? But it really helps me. It helped me gain perspective. Like life, there are different ways to succeed and success means different things for different people. And at that age, I felt like I want to make money. I want to make as much as I can. I build more impact through that. And fortunately, throughout the past probably eight years of entrepreneurship, my standard of success and my definition of success have changed, thankfully, and, and that evolves as well. So then now, now going back, like I don't regret at all taking a gap year. Like I encourage others to take gap years because then you can gain new perspectives and not to be in a rat race just to chase a higher income or try to follow your peers path, even though you might not be passionate or happy about doing something. So that was very helpful with the gap year. And the fact that my parents didn't know what they were doing and didn't have a set like stubborn mindset, like you need to be a doctor, a lawyer, you need to go to med school, which, you know, a lot of especially Asian community members have gone through that. I've seen my peers like, oh, you should be a doctor. That's a safe way to go. And and not having that type of pressure really actually helped me to develop, to become the person I am today. Yeah. That's a really mature response, right? I'm really glad like your parents are very supportive of that because I think I suggested a gap year. My dad's like, you're a failure. I'm like, why? Why can't I take a gap year, right? And I feel like that, that's absolutely right. Whenever you take some time off to see the different perspective, it helps you grow as a person. And I think a lot of younger people fall into the trap of, oh, I'm behind in life. I'm not going to finish on time. I'm going to be like a 24-year-old graduate. But in retrospect... Absolutely. That's young as heck. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Gary Vee always says that if you're you know, 60, the joke is you're 60, you're still young, you got time. And I, for me, I graduated technically last year, like during COVID, I finally finished my bachelor of science and because I was able to take classes remote or else I'd probably have to take more gap years when XPAL was being built in Chicago and LA. So I had to take time off. So it took me, including gap years, like six years to finish, seven years to finish undergrad. So everyone has success in different ways. And even if my ventures didn't take off, which during COVID was very challenging, we don't know what the future would be. And 
I'm not saying the next five years, 10 years, everything will always be as smooth, but you know, and I've been through the times where we're not generating profit. We've been through a time of challenges, we've been through COVID, but I still wouldn't regret a thing. Like that's what you realize. Like as you get older, I think, you know, for us, like we're getting older, we start to realize everyone have, and you probably interview so many successful people, everyone's success is different and it's the perspective that's, that's key. Enjoying the process is absolutely key. Yeah. Definitely. I couldn't say that any better, right? You definitely have to enjoy what you do because sometimes the things that you do every day, especially as an entrepreneur sucks. <laughs> you know, you're just like, why am I going through this crap for? Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, let's take it back a notch and talk about you finding your, finding your, your chubby cattle, right? Yeah. And, you know, I know you met your partner in 2014 and at age 20. Right. Yeah. What was what was that like meeting him? And I know he's currently CEO of the company. Like, yeah. Was it like being like, hey, like, we're, let's work together. Let's do something crazy. I can't imagine coming to any of my friends at age twenty. And be like, hey, do you want to yeah. do something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The crazy thing is, I actually didn't know him at the time. So how the story was? This was during my gap year. I was running my ad agency. I had a client, which is hot pot restaurant, restaurant Kashawa on Little Lamp in Flushing, which is where I live. And he was there that day learning and he was friends with the owner, a family friends. So he was shadowing and learning about the process of how to operate the restaurant. And he's from Vegas. So Hai Bing is my partner and he's from Vegas. And I actually met him that day because I'm trying to pitch to this hot pot restaurant to be my client as the marketing client. And the owner is also my neighbor. So we got together and Hai Bing shared his view like, hey, I live in Vegas. I think hot pot is very overdue. There's not really a good hot pot restaurant, not even a traditional franchise like little sheep or little lamb and we're like and i saved up at the time probably forty thousand dollars in my gap year that's my all my savings for the one year of gap year and i was like okay like let me let me know how i can participate i'll be the cmo i'll run the marketing i don't know anything about restaurants other than i do marketing for a lot of restaurants in new york city so we met blind trust like i wired him forty thousand dollars without knowing much like here's my life saving i'm young and we ended up making so many mistakes. Now we look back, it's hilarious. It's like we, we ended up buying this failing restaurant. I don't even know why we would buy this failing restaurant because we had no idea how to do due diligence. So we bought this current day where Chubby Cattle downtown Chinatown is that before then it's a Hong Kong restaurant, Cantonese restaurant that wasn't profitable. We paid $400,000 turnkey money just to buy that failing business when we could have gotten it for free. And you know, we had no idea. So we bought that business, I own 10%, 40K. And my partner tried to operate it, failed. Like it, running a Chinese restaurant, just a Cantonese restaurant with no niche is very difficult. And we finally like, all right, we need more capital to turn it into the hot pot dreams that we want because we wanted to get some restaurant operating experience. We want to see that if we can make that Cantonese restaurant profitable, which we didn't. And which is for most people, some people might give up at the time. Like, you know what? I don't want to be involved in this project anymore. It's been nine months. I didn't get paid. And now I'm asked to put more capital involved into the project. I haven't got paid a dime. So, but what I really love is that Harvey, my partner never gave up. Like there was no doubt, like, oh, we're going to give up. And I'm a guy that's also like, I'm not going to give up. So both of us like, all right, let's put more capital into this project. And we added another $400,000 and converted into what we know today as Chubby Cattle. Uh, in Las Vegas, which is the first location. And it was a success in terms of customer feedback. Like we got great Yelp reviews, people started loving it, but we weren't able to see a profit from it. And that's now coming back seven years later, being in the industry, I've realized like we made a lot of mistakes on like to operate a profitable restaurants, to operate a profitable restaurant, you need to have an edge in every field of the operation from lease acquisition, negotiating a good lease to 
proper payroll management, proper labor cost control, food cost control, and run appropriate marketing. And all these things that we kind of had no idea of, we just thought like, hey, you're going to build a good restaurant and profit's going to be so easy, like as long as the customers love it. So fast forward two years, this is now then 2018, is finally when we started generating profit. And at the time, even though we're not generating profit, we, we knew the concept was good. So we opened up Denver, we opened up Philadelphia, which I was in college at the time during when I came back to school. So during my school time, I would fly back and forth to Vegas, go to my ad agency in New York and balance out like a dual degree program at Penn. And I learned like you can't do everything. Like you, you have to know which thing you will sacrifice so that you have the time and not burn out. So I ended up dropping out the engineering degree and just pursued my business one degree. And still it took me seven years to complete. So it's been a process. And it wasn't, it wasn't like when you said earlier, like, oh, like how did you find success at a young age? For me, it was like eight years into it. Like just probably a year before COVID was when we're like generating profit on all locations month to month. And there's still problems day to day, especially with the restaurant space, the problem day to day with the ad agency. But it wasn't until a year before COVID, 2019 or so, where things are so smooth, like month to month, we have profit, we run distribution to investors, and we got a huge deal at the Venetian, and we got a huge deal with Prudential Real Estate at Roosevelt, we got a huge deal at Roland Heights in California, where things are completely 180 from when we started, when people like asked us to pay money to get into space, now landlords asking to pay us and tenant incentive, it's a tenant allowance where they give us millions of dollars to open up a location, which proves that they know that our concept works well in their space and they want to invest and be a partner rather than just a vendor as a landlord. So it's eight years of time that got through from like failures and not accepting the failures and pivoting and learning to where we're today, which we're still learning every day. We're opening new concepts and I'm sure we'll have new challenges that come up. Like we didn't expect COVID. We thought things were good for a year and COVID hit and we learned to adjust again. And we came out of COVID without closing locations, which we're very proud of. And we actually opened three during COVID. So yeah. That's amazing, dude. And congrats to you guys. I haven't met an Asian person out there that doesn't know what Xpot is. Right. So you're thank you. Thank you. You're doing a fantastic job branding yourself, especially in Las Vegas too, right? You're absolutely right. I think that I remember coming to Vegas when I was younger saying, oh yeah, there's no good hot pot here. And all of a sudden Chubby Cattle popped up and everybody's like, you have to check out Chubby Cattle. And then yeah. a couple of years later, it's like, oh yeah, like the guys from Chubby Cattle open up Xpot and here you are joining Asian Hustle Network. I'm like, man, I look, that brand looks kind of familiar there. And you hear you are sending me a DM, which is <laughs> like, yeah, hey, are you yeah. the Xpot guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that to me is probably the biggest driver in running like entrepreneurship is like to bring the community together. And there's not a lot of Asian restaurants outside of maybe Panda Express that's truly Asian owned and minority owned led by female leaders. We have all female GMs and that run the operators. And we also have Asian ownership, majority ownership in our, in our restaurant. So there's not many restaurant groups outside Panda Express that we're aware of that run this type of scale. So it's very nice to have the Asian community. And what's even more impressive to us is that we're able to influence non-Asian demographic to eat hot pot for the first time. Like I remember just maybe four or five years ago, like you tell them hot pot, nobody knows, like nobody knows what I, like if I explain oh, what, what hot pot, like they're like, oh, maybe it's like fondue or like, is this like barbecue? Now you go into land, I was like, yeah, I know Heidi Lau, oh, I've ate at X-Pot. Like, yeah, I know I've had this, it's an amazing experience. And you see that change. And I think that actually helps people, it really do help, it really will help people bring, bring people together. I know in a way where we don't see it's like a soft weapon of, of getting people together. So through culture, through our music and entertainment and food, 
Uh, and the less people are like afraid of like unknown and not knowing what sushi was, they, they start to accept the culture and realize that we're not really different apart. Like we're, we have great food and every culture has different food. And, and that's something that we're very proud of. Yeah, definitely. I think you guys definitely contribute contributed to the culture shift as well. Cause I feel like there's like a huge change where it's like people are embracing more Asian culture, especially Asian food, yeah. right? Compared to like yeah. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I'm not that old, actually. Like 15 years ago, <laughs> you know, the concept of bringing like your Asian foods is cool. It's like kind of looked down upon, like trying to yeah. find the food and the smell and everything. Yeah. And nowadays, yeah. Asian food is cool. Like I always yeah. want to try Asian food, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think, yeah, we're in that perfect space. And, and seeing COVID and how much Asian hate there was out there and even today, I just hope that through what we're doing, through food that people start to understand each other more and be less afraid of like other cultures because they don't know. And most people that are not educated about each other's culture becomes like, Oh, this thing is so so crazy. I don't don't want to do this. I don't know their culture. is so weird. Then when you really engage in their culture, their movies, their music, their food, you realize like every culture is amazing and you should really enjoy that process. And it really does bring people closer together. Yeah. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. And I want to go back to like your early days of being an entrepreneur, right? I know you mentioned that you guys, you and your partner have a no quit mentality. And as you guys run into problems, you're like, okay, I won't quit. I won't quit. But I'm kind of curious, like not many people would put more money into an operation that's already losing money. And yeah. how did you convince, convince investors to put more money into this? Like yeah. that takes some mad hustle right there to be like, Hey, I know this is losing all our money, but we need more money and this yeah. is how we're going to structure it. So how did you, how did you do it? So initially we operated a Cantonese restaurant and my partner put up, I think at the time, 40, 50% of the capital, I'm putting up 10%. And throughout the six months when it wasn't generating profit, it was like breaking even, but we didn't generate any profit. I didn't have to put in any additional capital. We just realized like, Hey, this concept is not what we wanted to create. And it's hard to market just Chinese food in a, rundown restaurant. We didn't have put any budget into renovation and there's not much, it's not our expertise and we can't really do any marketing on something that's not like, maybe the food is amazing, tastes good, but it's not special enough. Like it, for us, you all like and for any business, especially in the service space, you need to have an edge. So when you look at the X powder, chubby cow, there's a conveyor belt aspect to it. We have robots at the X power. We have a projection show, a 5d room, an insane lounge and our food itself is like hot pot that you've never had before. It's like on a fine dining level of hot pot. And I've traveled around the world to try different hot pot. And I never had that type of customer service where the person's pouring my soup without me asking, pouring water without me asking, and just really be there and wear a suit and service the customers the way that we do. So the my partner pitched me like, Hey, we will build a refrigerated conveyor belt hot pot, which is one of the kind and first in the world. And this is something that we can really market. It's a cuisine that people will be excited to try for the first time. And I remember in the beginning of Chubby Cattle, it was like 90% Asian customers, probably 90% Chinese, actually. Now you look, go in, it's probably 80%, 70% non-Asian customers. Like you go to our Chicago location because there's not a lot of Asian demographic there. It's 90% non-Asian customer, 95% non-Asian customers, which shows this huge drive, like to be able to get the mainstream customers into our Chinese cuisine. And that's something that was revolutionary with Chubby Cattle. And it gave us motivation to be like the original concept didn't work because it didn't stand out and it couldn't display what we wanted to show to the world. And with the new concept, there's an edge in technology. We're bringing technology together. We can really showcase our customer service and the food presentation. And with the new renovation, it will be a really cool local spot. 
at the time we didn't think about the expat or anything. It was just um, my time. I'm running the ad agency and this is a side project. Like, let me invest the rest of my savings again the next year, which is another $45,000 into the space. And yeah, thankfully we didn't need any more capital, but we didn't generate any profit. And I was putting like both my partner and I don't take a salary. Even to this date, we have no salary. We get a monthly distribution from our equity. So we were working and he's working probably 80 hours a week on this project. He's working every little part of the restaurant, doing the construction, doing everything, which is not like now it's not efficient. Like we don't want him to do any of that. He's not doing any of that because that's not scalable. By the time it's great to really be that Superman, to have that Superman syndrome and learn everything. And I can see that as a partner, as a CEO, like he works so hard. And uh, obviously things don't work out the way you plan. And that's part of it. It's like the Dunn-Kruger effect. We, we have so high, high confidence. So we start the product because we have no idea how the industry works. Then we go through this valley of death, which like most people can probably give up. You see all of these problems. And finally, eight years later, we go through the process. Now we know the industry is very difficult. If someone comes up to me, like I want to open a restaurant, I'll ask them a list of questions. I want to see their lease. I want to see their team. I want to see all these things, which I wouldn't, I didn't even ask when I just got into the project with them. And just, we, we learned together and it's a learning, learning curve for both of us. And, but I want to do it any other way. Those failures allowed us to really learn about the industry. And I'm sure there's probably a faster way if we had a mentor and gone through another, like had another partner that understood what was going on so we can learn from them. But you know, this is, and there's no one way to success. And maybe we took the longer term, but the failures helped us learn a little bit more knowledge for future concepts and whatever we're doing now. Yeah, you're definitely right with failure side, right? There's nothing to be afraid of with failure. I think failure is just a way of telling you that this is not working. Right. And I guess the worst type of failure is like, you don't fail immediately. And it it takes a long time for it to fail. And it never quite succeed. It never quite fail. And you're like, now you're wasting time. This is precious. Hey, we're, we're four years in probably. Yeah. Four years since I invested, didn't, didn't take one dividend, no profit, thousands of hours of work. And most people at that time will probably give up. Probably most, I think most people are like, you know what? This is not working out. I'm, and I see friends doing tech startup. That value goes up to 20 mil, 30 mil without even a single dollar revenue and sell it to another company, Spotify, whatever. And you really have to, for, for me, like we really pivoted. You learn to fail, then you pivot from it. But give yourself some time. Like a lot of people want to be successful in six months. They want to build a YouTube channel and be famous in three months, two months. Because we see all these TikTok famous people and Instagram and you got famous and you get big all of a sudden. Uh, but for, at least for me, it took, you know, eight to 10 years of pivoting for the ad agency, for the restaurants to do well. And for us to be in this phase right now, which we're scaling and build another 10 locations. And we just closed the last round at a hundred million dollars, which is the valuation of a holding company. Thank you. Thank you. So it took time. Like it was not long ago, probably just three years ago, pre-pandemic, we're only valued at 16 million before expat. So it definitely took some time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big deal. Like they're getting to a hundred million dollar valuations. Congratulations. Yeah. And also thank saw you, that you, you and your partner were also Forbes 30 under 30 this year. So yeah. Yeah. Year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. That was an honor as well to be nominated and to be, you know, I guess honored in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think I met you in Vegas randomly and you came off as very mature. So when I saw you in Forbes 30 under 30, I'm like, man, he's so young. <laughs> yeah. You should see when I was trying to pitch clients when I was 18, 19, where I have to be like, yeah, I went to Wharton when I, you know, it's before pre-Wharton. I'm like, yeah, I'm at Wharton. That's my college. And trying to convince people to believe in me to run their advertising campaign. So that was, you know, that was really young and I really had to use like convince people now at least the age is like just people say oh yeah you're a young entrepreneur but at the time like you had to when you're especially when you're starting out young you have to prove to people and do extra work yeah 
Yeah. And I want to hear about your working relationship with your partner. I know you mentioned him a couple of times already, but how did, when things are going terrible, I mean, things are going great. Obviously like you were like, Oh yeah, we're both awesome. We can make things happen. But yeah. the real conflict comes out when things aren't working. And you mentioned that things were working for the first two to four years, right? Yeah. Tell us about a time where you guys got heated against each other. Yeah. That happens, right? And that's something absolutely, we don't talk about. Absolutely. 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 I think, yeah, this um, my tip actually on finding the good partner. And sometimes, you know, even friends can't be great partners, but you have to have really good long-term goals together. So both my partner and I are not looking at short-term profit and we're not looking we're not people that are like, I need to make X amount of dollars in this way. Like we never thought that we wanted to build a successful venture. We want to go big, make the company go into billion dollar valuation one day. And we always had that goal. So there was never like at a moment where like, you know what, my time is not worth it. And this is not worth it. My hourly rate is more than this. And I shouldn't be doing this. It's more like we have no pride and ego in doing that. And our long-term vision is the same. We don't mind giving out the piece of pie to all the partners and operators and investors that have helped us throughout the, on the way. We want to build the bigger pie and have more impact in the world rather than be like, I want more of this. So my partner gave out more equity during the time, gifted equity to, because he was the largest shareholder and gifted equity and did equity swap with my ad agency so that we can work together and have this long-term dream. So what's really important to see that like for my partner, it wasn't about the capital. Like he, he doesn't spend much, doesn't live a lavish life. He really just enjoyed building the product and impacting, seeing his product, seeing the smile on the customer's face and seeing the investors are happy. Like that's what drives him. He doesn't spend like that. And I respect that. Like, you know, I, I probably live a little bit more luxurious life than he does. I enjoy some like living in a good, better space where he's like, he's all about working and just building this and, and seeing that is really important and building trust in someone that you can trust. And uh, we really deal with like, he deal with the operations and I deal with the finances and marketing and we give each other guidance when we need and we don't really touch each other's like, oh, you need to do this and be super controlling on different people's aspects. So we trust our partners. We trust our GMs. We give them ownership roles and that our vision is the same. Now, day-to-day decisions for businesses, we might have different opinions and we might have arguments. I like how, what should we spend? What should we do this? Is this food good? Like he might have, he might work with the chef for a month curating these tasty menus. And I just go into X pod. Like, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. Right. So obviously there's a lot of small things that we both have to respect at the same time. You have to be honest with each other. And, and, and he knows that like maybe in the, in the, moment of passion, you'd be like, you know, this is maybe you don't know. So you need to work together and real own in that you guys have the same goal. And I try to emphasize that, like, even if we have disagreement of what should be good for X power, Chevy cattle, like it's all that for the same goal that we have. And that's, that's the most important thing. And we both recognize that we want the best, not for ourselves, for the company. And if the company does well, we do well, like, and we have the same goal for that. So he never will over, he never will cross over to be like, Hey, I think the equity structure should be this. Maybe the investor will like, David, you decide on how to raise capital. David, you decide on how to run distribution. That's your area. And I'll continue focusing on how to build amazing products, hire the best chefs in the world to work on all of our projects, build out the most amazing concepts and keep on thinking new concepts. So it's a good mix and we have our pros and cons. I like even on the language side, like my Chinese is not that great. He's able to speak with all of our Chinese investors and, and continue building on the Chinese side and have Chinese vendors versus me. I'll be dealing with the U S markets, the U S news, social media, et cetera. So we really have our pros and cons and, uh, and our weaknesses and strength in different areas so we can complement each other. 
but fighting, like it will happen. And even through the best, like if partnerships don't have that, then if you don't have that difference in opinions, actually, I don't think that's good. You, you need to have some difference opinions for a better product that we're building. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Right. And, you know, I always elude that having a business partner is almost like getting into a relationship with, with someone else. Absolutely. <laughs> too many, too many aspects to say. My girlfriend would say the same thing that like, oh, oh, you're going out. Oh, you're cheating on me again. You're going to you spend more time talking to your partner and like night, day to night. And like, you know, like my is calling me. Like, oh, your second girlfriend, like your girlfriend is calling you, you know, because I always say like, it's the same. Like dude, a moment of trust, the communication is so important and your long-term plans and the core values have to align or else you will run into issues. And we, we've had it. We've had issues with other partners. Like that have committed cash theft. We had to deal with that early, early on. Uh, we dealt with investors that have different investment horizons that wanted to make, you know, hundred percent return in six months, like the traditional Asian restaurant tours that would maybe skip out on taxes and, you know, try to hire non-documented workers. And like, we're not doing any of that. Like our goal is long-term, like, even though we're not generating profit, we want to do everything right. So we can scale and and get to a level where our cost of goods will be lower, but not because we're saving money through these cutting corner ways. So there's, you know, we have, and that's something I learned, like even with investors in a relationship, you have to set up very clear expectations, like what your goals are. We're not looking to return a high profit at, in, by cutting corners. We're looking to build a product that will impress and be there for the next 20 years, 30 years and so, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome to hear about, you know, your long-term site of, building this amazing company that's going to be around for a very long time. Right. And I feel like as entrepreneurs, especially young ones, it's so easy for us to like, Oh my God, like I can make like $10 million right now or $20 million right now. Let's just, you know, let's take, let's just exit. Right. And I'm kind of glad that you're building this for the long term and putting there all the right people around you. And, you know, I, I'm kind of, let's, let's move it up a notch. Right. Let's talk about Xpot real quick because I write some articles online about this is, you're kind of you're kind of overwhelmed because it's your first ten million dollar project. Now I was doing at the time of the article, I think it was last year or something. You guys are doing twenty million dollars a year in gross profit, right? Pretty sure those numbers are much larger now. But like, what was going through that mindset of yours when you're like, okay, this we have a chance to have a restaurant in on the strip, and that's huge, right? Especially an Asian restaurant that's, you know. I don't know. I don't know how to describe other Asian restaurants, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. It's like authentic yeah, Asian not, restaurant. Yeah. 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 Like when we, when we created XCon and telling people like we're doing a high end, probably $150 a person tasty menu for hot pot. Oh, we got so many people and so many doubters that are like, dude, no one's going to spend this on hot pot. No one even knows hot pot is. I know Chinese, like Asian people are like not there. You don't know there, there is no hot pot that's 150. We're probably one of the most expensive hot pot in the U.S. Definitely in the U.S., but not around the world. But in the U.S., definitely one of the most expensive hot pot. So there's a risk there. And like, do you even? And then COVID hit when expats are supposed to open and casinos shut down. There's still no international travel, and like we we have no Chinese customers. Like, what are we gonna do? In the beginning, it was nerve wracking. It was difficult. But when I tried out XPOP for the first time internally to taste the food and the service, and I'm like, no, this is going to be a winner. Like I've had hot pot around the world, and this is probably one of the best customer service, best way to present the entire process of eating. It's the most intuitive way to eat hot pot without, even if you never had hot pot, it's very intuitive because you're not ordering anything. You can just say, I want the tasting menu, choose your soup base and boom, and give your dietary restrictions. And the rest is like a tasty menu. 
uh, like in French cuisine. So combining that French cuisine, Michelin level service and food, we're able to bring in not only Asian clientele, like 80%, 70% of customers are non-Asian and they're trying hot pot for the first time. So yeah, definitely nerve wracking. And there are a lot of doubters and haters in that saying that no one's, you know, it's going to be a challenge. And yeah, last year we did 20 mil annualized in gross sales. And we project we'll continue to grow as international travel comes back and people are traveling more and more. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely, we're very blessed to see the result and see the hard work pay off and see people appreciate what, what we spent thousands of hours and probably 30, 40 team members before we opened to curate the menu and curate the experience. And we built the first like 5D projection room for Hot Pot, and which means we made an animation for every dish we created like that. Like people don't realize, like I was, uh, my partner and I are in the process of making a movie, like a three hour movie for the dining experience, which is a whole nother, like we never made movies before, like animation movies. So it was a whole nother interesting negotiation, like what is better? Everyone has different opinions on product producing a movie and we work with different animators. Um, so that was fun. And yeah, it's, it's a whole challenge and seeing that open and be successful. We're very, very proud of it. And then seeing Chicago have the same revelation seeing locals like there's not a lot of travelers to chicago so local community is going back and loving the concept uh is something that we're very proud of yeah that's crazy just so much thought and effort put into just the presentation alone right and yeah and for you guys listening to you guys end up checking the expot in any locations actually texas philadelphia las vegas la you know any of these places like you realize like it's quite the experience, right? And it's like starting with like the soup base and the presentation yeah. and, you know, it's very, very high end. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, we have even appetizers for hot pot. Not a lot of places have appetizers for hot pot. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, we thought we put a lot of thought process on how to make uh, something that's really special. And, and yeah, we're, we're having more concepts that come out. We're doing a barbecue concept now. Uh, it's called Niku X. It's coming soon. We also want to bring the best karaoke entertainment slash nightlife into North America as well. Because karaoke and, and private parties are the biggest thing in China, but it's not, or biggest thing in Asia, but it's not really represented and introduced to the mainstream in the US. And I think there's a gap there and a, and a way to get that experience out and with virtual reality, with AR and with different technology and with nightclub appeals to get the mainstream into spaces like that. So we see the opportunity as well. And we also see this health and fitness like spa. That's a huge culture in China. And that's not really uh, built out here in the U.S. the way that we see already happening in Asia, how advanced it is with everything. So that's something I'm also building. And we're really trying to bring the fun, the coolest, most fun part of our cultures global to go to the rest of the world. That's wildly ambitious. I'm definitely looking forward to all those things, right? And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you... You're pretty much the visionary of the company. You kind of dictate what, what you, what anything happens, right? Do you ever feel like your personality seeps into every single project that you do? Where you walk into a restaurant, you're like, "There's a part of me in here." Where you, or even your friends walking, you're like, "That's totally David," <laughs> right? Do you feel like that way when you're running your business, where your personality seeps through the entire organizations, no matter how much you, no matter what you feel, right? You're feeling great. Suddenly you realize that everyone around you is happy. You're feeling stressed. Like you realize all your employees are, are, are sad and angry. You're like, this is crazy. I want to hear about that experience about you being a leader in your organization. Yeah. yeah. I think what leadership means in our organization, and I've seen it in my partner, I respect him a lot for that, is how he's willing to do anything and fill in any roles, whether that's dishwashing or being the host 
and work 24 seven. So when I was younger, a lot of people, when they're younger, they think being a boss or a leader is like, you just tell people what to do. Like, Hey, you do this, you do this. And you know, I do nothing and I'm going to be the boss. Like I tell you around. Then as you grow and learn a true effective leader will be able to pick up every role because they're not, they understand every role. They might not be the best at every role and you're not supposed to be the best just to hire people that are better than you, but you're really there as the leader to facilitate and making sure people work cohesively and you will find the best talents in those spaces. Uh, but you're at the end of the day willing to put in the most amount of work. So if your chef is working 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, you better be putting 60, 70 hours a week and building a business is not a passive thing. Like a lot of, and I felt like it'd be like, oh, you want to build a business, go reach financial freedom. And you see this like all over YouTube, like how to reach financial freedom, build an Amazon warehouse, FBA, blah, 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 like or real estate. And you have to sit and sip like, I don't know, cocktails on the beach. Like, I don't know one entrepreneur or any friend of mine that's like doing that, that are successful. Like even the most successful people are still working on their craft, work 60 hours a week, or you're an investor. Like you end up being in a VC and you passively invest. Sure. Like you can be an investor and that's something different, but entrepreneurs and when you're building projects, nobody is making passive income. It's the most active income that maybe there's not even income, by the way, for a couple of years, like there could be no exit. So it's, it's, I wouldn't recommend entrepreneurship to everyone. It's not a healthy lifestyle. I actually don't think it's a balanced lifestyle to be like, to build what we've built. It's a lot of stress. You're dealing with things. You don't have off days. Like my partner can call me at 2 a.m. And it's often 3 a.m. Oh, this happened. This is, this happened. We have a problem. Oh, here's a, some situation with the vendor. This problem. We, we don't have Wagyu for the next, like, we're going to find solutions. And if you're not ready to deal with that, like you want to have a healthy nine to five and be able to do everything else, travel and do this. I respect that. You know, have a, you have a balanced life. Like I respect Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, like all these idols, but you don't realize the amount of sacrifice in their family life and their friendships. Like they, they missed that out, like for the 10, 15 years, cause they put into work. You have to have that almost like super hustler and crazy mentality. And you're, you're, you're sacrificing your day-to-day life. And I think that should be made out very clear when you come out to build a business or be a business owner, that that is the path you're choosing. And it's not a easy make millions kind of life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Oh, it's funny because over the weekend uh, I met a couple of my friends. They're like, Oh, how's entrepreneurship life, Brian? I'm like, Oh, like, I think your life's much easier than mine. <laughs> and yeah. you know, it's not anything offensive. It's true. Right. Because when you're running your own business, like the highs are highs and the lows are lows. Right. Absolutely. And it's quick, yeah. it's crazy how quick things happen. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. oh, things are I'm I'm the best entrepreneur. And in the next hour, I'm the crappiest entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Know? You will have you will feel all the feels. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're responsible for your actions. So you're working for a bigger corporate, maybe like you don't care how their sales do because it's that doesn't impact you. But here, like every little part is like you have to build it. If you don't build it, no one else will, and and you know, that will fall off. So Props yeah. to you for, for building this amazing community together. And yeah. props to you, man. Like listen to your entire story during this podcast is highly inspirational, right? And it's highly relatable in some ways. So it's like, you know, the mon- to me, it's like no matter what industry you're in and entrepreneurship, they're all going to demand from you. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Just get, you're going to have to think about it day and night, right? Yeah. Because you're responsible. Yeah. Everything you do, you feel the ramifications of whether it was good or bad. 100%. 100%. That's why I say we're at C-level or as a leader, or as a managing partner in the space, I don't feel like I'm a boss at all. I, in fact, I feel like I work for everyone. I work for my employees who, who will be upset and have complaints about their pay about this. 
I'm working for my customers who have complaints and have issues and things we need to fix. I'm working for my investors who might not be happy with certain things and have a lot of questions and concerns. And I'm working for all the vendors who might have be like, hey, I want this, I want to negotiate higher rates. So you're working for all these parties and you're facilitating them. You're playing, you're putting people in the right places. And at the end of the day, you're, you have to be ready to serve all these parties. And that's how you're building a company. It's not, they're serving you. That's not what entrepreneurship is. It's really how you're serving the rest of the team, what type of value you're providing for the rest of your team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're also in the restaurant business, which is, in my opinion, one of the hardest industries to be a part of because yeah. there's so many things that can go wrong and you know, supply chain issue, food issue, food quality, yeah. food control, you know, people, customers, yeah. location, rent. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And hats off to you, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's a very low barrier to entry. A lot, like anyone can say, Hey, I've saved up a couple hundred thousand dollars. I want to open a restaurant and you know, I make videos about this like, to build a successful restaurant. You need to not only have a great chef or great food, you need to have all these things, legality, you have an expert in legal marketing, lease acquisition, finance team, and technology to be on par. And then you have the chef and then you have the customer experience. Like the, all these parts have to be an A plus and above and beyond. Then you will have and maybe you will have luckily enough if you don't have COVID and the market is right, then you will have a successful operating restaurant that makes the margin so thin, like five to 10%. Yeah. And average, and average. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. I want to, since we're coming up to near to the end of the podcast, I want to focus the next part of the podcast on what you said earlier. Right. And what you said was, you know, when you're younger, you're focused on making a lot of money, but as you're growing throughout the last eight years, your priorities and goals have changed. Right. And I noticed this throughout your Instagram account too. Like, no, not to be, not to be weird or creepy, but now I look through Instagram and be like, oh, he's definitely changed through his captions throughout the years. Right. And I want to hear more about your personal growth as a person about, you know, obviously once you get past me, it's like, once you get past the, the barrier of I'm going to be okay financially, your mindset right. changes to like, how can I make the world better? Whatever it is. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. hear your evolution of what your mindset was from like year one to year eight. Sure. Let me, yeah, let me be very frank. Yeah. And I'm glad you asked that. Coming to the States and seeing my peers and people that family that do better. Again, my dad's a small business owner. Never, I never seen luxury, never had seen BMWs or anything and nice cars. So coming into the States and seeing all these things and online media, like one day I want to be able to buy a Tesla or buy a, Lambo, right? And that was like the goal. Like I want to, and, and you don't realize how much marketing that's been done to you because that's like what you will want. And it's kind of a status. And when I don't have that and couldn't achieve that, I even started next auto club, which is a failed business. You transition, like at the time when you don't have it, these are the milestones you tried to hit to really just to make yourself like, feel like, wow, you made it. Like it's, it's a, it's a materialistic symbol of like your hard work has paid off. I think that's what it was for me. And to have it is like to let other people improve to other people. And that's my evolution. So like at the time, I don't realize, but subconsciously, I want to prove to people my hard work is being paid off because I cannot prove to myself that it's being paid off. So I'm, I'm insecure with that myself. Like I, this is working because at the time you're still dealing with a lot of challenges financially. You're dealing with, you don't know what the future is like. And even today, I don't know what the future will like, but at least right now is good. But when you actually get to a point, uh, maybe you you have more than a million in savings, uh, let's say, where you realize you can buy these things. And just having the thought of like, yeah, if I want to buy that, I could buy that. And when you have businesses and ventures and 
things, you kind of elevate yourself outside of materialistic things of cars or needing people's respect and approval of you, but rather than like, there's so much approval and so much approval from customers, from your team already on a day-to-day basis that you know that your work, hard work is being respected by a lot of people and financially that you feel secure enough where you get to a point of then evolved to a point, maybe pretty recently, like I don't want, like those things don't really fulfill what I need. It's more of a hedonic cycle. Like if, if that's what you think that if that's what drives you, like you should not be an entrepreneur. Like you, what drives me today is like, I can build more projects. I love seeing the end result and people raving about what we've created. So that transition definitely have transition. And I've seen that evolve, but it's a process. It's hard for someone who hasn't gone through that process and then enjoy the hedonic like cycle or treadmill to buy these things. I bought the Lambo when I was probably the lowest cash flow time of my life. Like to start the next auto club, I was the poorest in terms of cash flow, but I had six cars and I rent them out in the next auto club and it felt great, even though you know things are still hectic and volatile. And this is before COVID. Uh, so you know, things don't really seem the way it is. Then when you actually do get to a level where I feel like hey, I can buy, you know, I can buy pretty much anything I want to buy. I can't buy super yachts or jets, but you don't need those things in life. And those things, the marginal utility is pretty low. Uh, you realize like, I really enjoy, you know, maybe playing a computer game. I never played computer games in my lifetime. And I, during COVID, I picked up League of Legends for the first time. And I enjoy continue playing ping pong, which is something I love to do. When I was younger, I played professionally table tennis. And like, I realized you do these activities, uh, build great friendship, spend time with family, hang out with your lover, my girlfriend, travel and doing all those things. Like I just came back from a trip with my, my brothers that, uh, that are my investors that I grew up with. Uh, when I didn't speak English, they taught me English in middle school, high school. And now they're my investors. They're doing their own startups, uh, traveling to Colombia, and, and all these things, like that's what makes me happy. And that's, that's an evolution that I think you have to go through as you build it and recognize and I definitely have been a victim of materialism, like to, to prove myself uh, that I made it by buying these cars and making purchases that I was not, I shouldn't be making or investing in ways that are way too aggressive. So that's definitely evolution that I've gone through. And I think many people will go through and talk about it. But at the end of the day, yeah, like I read into the hedonic treadmill. I read and like read into like what will truly make one happy and how to make yourself more fulfilled and doing what you do. And those things are important yeah, to go through. Thank you so much for being so transparent with that, right? And yeah. <laughs> again, I'm not nearly at your level, but you know, it's very relatable in some ways where it's like, you know, beginning, I don't know about nice cars and everything, but you yeah. know, the best satisfaction I have right now is like living a very simple life and giving yeah. back, right? That's yeah. the best satisfaction. Yeah, like getting on this talk and then hopefully people can see or someone like that looking to be entrepreneurs or get something out of this talk to me is like very... It gives me a lot of fulfillment. Like people DMing me about their project and DMing me about their situation. They want, they say, Hey, your gap year video really helped me with my process because my parents didn't improve me. Those things, like, I'm like, yeah, I feel a lot more fulfillment than, you know, people expect, Oh, wow, this guy's a nice thing. By the way, that, another thing I've learned, like, if you have nice things and you, it's something that you can't share with your friends and family, like, it's better not to have it. Cause you, no one, no one's happy for some, most people, unless you can share your happiness with other people, it's hard for people to be happy for you to have something like that. So you're creating more jealousy and, and toxicity in your life rather than if, if I can pay for a meal for my family and go out to have dinner and that's my way of spending and getting everyone together and everyone can share the happiness or go on a trip. And that's something I'd rather do than, you know, wear this expensive watch and for people to be like, Oh wow, this guy's doing well. Like, 
they're not happy. They're, I mean, they're happy for you, but you're not really providing anything for them. So that's something I've learned also. Like even I tell friends, like, you know, shouldn't you want to be humble to really create great friendships and great relationships. And this will make you happier more than any materialistic items or, or approval that you need from other people because you're, you're a CEO or you build these ventures or you have X amount of net worth. Yeah. So that's yeah. the type of life I want to live and continue living and continue building cool projects. And hopefully the videos that I continue to create can inspire more people as well. Yeah. Definitely couldn't agree more with the, everything you said, right? And it comes from experience. It comes from looking deep inside and, you know, those, those moments where no one sees you and you're by yourself, you lay in bed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those thoughts creep in and you, I could tell you had a lot of them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, again, it's, a lot of people think it's a, you know, they only see you because you created XPOT. They don't see the eight years of the first four years of failing. No one's there. Like a lot of haters and you'll go through that. No one sees a day-to-day, night-to-night problem. Only your partners will. And, and again, like failures is actually more like teaching and more meaningful than some of the successes. I can go back and remember, maybe I don't remember all the successes, like, and it's not, people will just recognize success. But for me, when I sit down with my partner, I'm like, ah, oh, remember the time, like, you know, we, we didn't know how to deal with this cash theft. Like, oh, remember the time we bought out this terrible restaurant for $400,000, like then we met. Those are the memories that you will have. So failures are so underrated and success is so overrated in our society. And I think we should place more emphasis on like, it's okay to fail, but try it and follow your passion and do it. Like, don't let statistics or average of like, oh, most restaurants are failing. Even if someone say you will fail, like continue doing it and fail and learn from it. And it's, that's, that itself is an exciting movie and you should be writing that movie for your life. Yeah, definitely. You only fail when you give up, right? Yeah. Yeah, you fail. You only fail if it's your attitude. Like this is how you define failure. For me, if you can live life, you have enough meaning to live life. You're blessed. Then try out do everything that you can. Your lifetime, life is short. Definitely, man. Couldn't agree more. So, I guess the final question I want to ask is about relationships, right? Because I feel like you're a type of guy that's always on the move, and you're always pushing the limits higher and higher. And you know, I know you have a really healthy relationship with your partner and your girlfriend. Yeah. So how do you find time to maintain a healthy relationship while hustling so hard for your goals and dreams? That's a great question. I, that's a question I've not asked in any of the interviews that I have. How do I make sure my girlfriend's happy while I'm hustling and all this? By the way, congratulations on your engagement. I saw it on Instagram. That's Thank a that's huge step. Huge step. And I hope to take that step uh, one day. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of communication. It's not. It's the same with partnership and business. It takes a lot of communication and it's not an easy process. So there's going to be a lot of debates and arguments and, but it's about how you resolve those differences. That is key. So during, I'm with my girlfriend and significant other for four years now, and she's been with me when I had one location at the first Chubby Cattle. And at the time, like I need to rent a nice car to go on the first date. Like that's kind of my mentality to all the way now that like we can, you know, she's taken the bus to see me. I've taken the bus to see her driven like so many miles to Michigan, all this stuff and seeing the growth of both of us. Yeah, it takes communication and learning about ourselves. A lot of time in relationship, we have a lot of flaws in ourselves. So we have to learn and how I become a bigger person. How do we communicate? And it's the same with the business like this. You got to put effort in and you evolve and it ebbs and flow. And then we learn and we grow and hopefully we grow together and we grow, become more enlightened in our relationship. But it's definitely not easy because you're on the road. It's like long distance is not easy. It takes a lot of trust. I'm also in the hospitality space where you're dealing with, you know, there are a lot of people and if, if we feel insecure 
about the relationship. We might feel insecure sometimes about ourselves, about the relationship. Very easily, jealousy can get in the way of a healthy relationship. Jealousy is good. Like envious is good to a certain level until it becomes toxic if you can't address it properly. So it's, uh, I mean, I would have a whole hour podcast just about like my perspective, my relationship, about open communication, about setting your own standard like it's actually i think that's how my personality seep in the relationship like business like like most people have a track like this is what it is and you need these are the rules that's what the movies tell us this is what like you cannot let's say have uh, i don't know a sexual relationship with someone else all these rules are set up just you don't really know ask why like you don't ask why you don't talk about it and that's just the way it is but for us like we talk about everything you can talk about why? Why is it that we would have to be in our life be sexually exclusive? Why is this a religion, th- religious thing, or is this a cultural thing? Or but what's the reason? Why are you hurt by that? Like all these things, you have to create your own path, your own rules in your relationship that works for both of you, and to have a healthy relationship. Just like building any startup, this is in a similar way. Communication is key. Yeah, definitely, man. That's a that's a great answer, right? And it comes to show like how, how what kind of special relationship you have with your girlfriend right now, and. Glad you're sharing that with us, right? Because a lot of us, I mean, I feel like a lot of a lot of people in the entrepreneur space are like, oh, I can't keep a healthy relationship and can't do this and that. But I feel like it's all mindset, really. It's all about it's up to you. Absolutely. When you're when you want a bad enough, there's always a solution to everything. So I really absolutely, absolutely. You if you love the person, you will find a solution. You will find time. Like I, we still find time for like quality time together, even though I'm up, I'm away, let's say traveling and she's working remotely. She, unfortunately she's working remotely so she can maybe travel with me sometimes, but other times she's working, she can, she's also doing her own business. You know, we find time. And at the end of the day, that's key. If you, if you're like, for me, like as an entrepreneur, the whole point is building amazing products and putting the effort into impressing people. If I can't impress and do something for my girlfriend and also be go above and beyond just the same way I build an expat to go above and beyond for the customers, I think it's kind of correlated. It's like, you don't want to put in effort. That's really not an excuse. So you certainly can find time to put in the same amount of effort, but it, it takes communication. It takes uh, the mindset and for two people to, to agree on how their relationship model will work. And yeah. And, and I think a healthy relationship, a long-term relationship is very healthy for an entrepreneur, for anyone to have that deep connection with someone, just have someone support you throughout life and support each other. I think that's very important actually. Yeah. I like that, dude. It sounds like we need to have a whole separate podcast just in relationships yeah. with David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all right up against some time. And I do appreciate you coming to the podcast today. Uh, how can our listeners find out more about you and reach out to you? You, you can find me on Instagram, YouTube. I follow the link. Of, I answer all questions. Very reachable on Instagram and everything. So if you have any questions about entrepreneurship, about life, about relationship, or just want to talk or, or give a complaint about our restaurant, feel free to uh, DM me and... Uh, uh, I'll be more than happy to answer and then give any guidance and feedback or just chat and connect. Yeah. Awesome, man. I love how open you are. And we we'll leave, we'll leave all that in the show notes. Sounds good. Sounds good. Brian, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. No, yeah. thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We appreciate yeah. it. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes. So be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday. So stay tuned. Thank you guys so much. 